0: Dude, it's December first already. How crazy is that? Doesn't seem real, does it? It like all of a sudden, and we're only uh, yeah, right around the corner from 2022. Dude, that's that's nuts. And then we're right around the corner from the Daytona 200 in March. Yeah, you know that's so that what it that always
1: be- signified. We got Supercross first week, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's you know we're kind of getting back to the old days. As soon as Supercross kicked off, I knew Daytona was coming.
0: Yeah, it's um it's gonna be fast it's really good weather too for us in december it's crazy i got a couple days of like upper 60s and sun heading my way so i'm definitely going to get on a motorcycle and ride a little bit do a little bit of adventure touring can't even look at your i can't even look at your stuff that you post why what's wrong with you what you got like a reserve what
1: what the hell did you what did you attach to the side of that thing an extra so it's, fuel tank or
0: some shit Yeah, it's a jerry can. You're actually That's supposed great. to get them on both sides, but they were out of the Dude. one on the left side, but yeah, it's oh, a yeah. like put like 0.8 gallon, mm. you know, can or whatever and it attaches <laughs> nice nice right there and it's something I sure as shit could have used on the Ducati, man. You know, since mm. I ran out of oh, gas the time. Oh yeah. A There's a
1: big comparison between those two.
0: Yeah, I know. Some people have been sending me messages like, "Man, mm. you literally went from a Ferrari to like a used Geo Storm." I'm like, "Yeah, yeah. pretty much." But yeah. nonetheless, I mean, they both have their character and they both have their, That's their functions. But anyway, everybody, welcome to the Grace Garage Pod with Coach Jason Pridmore, presented by Bike911.com. Bike911.com is exactly what you think it is. If you need some help with a motorcycle accident, maybe you're a racer or a team manager or something, you need a contract, looked at, handled, created, go to Bike911.com and go talk to our boy, Alex Asante. He's the man. Uh, in this week's podcast, we're going to be talking about some Mariah news and... We'll talk about them right now. World Superbike Lead Color Analyst, Steve English. Uh, Hi, Steve. How are you, man? Hey, guys. Good to be back
2: on. I'll be honest, Greg. I'm listening to the comments there about going from a Ferrari to whatever else. But I think it's (laughs) always important to know that whenever something is given to you, it's very different to whenever you're actually going out and spending your own money. Oh, he's spending his own
1: money. He's buying stuff on the internet for it. Oh, oh yeah no, that's
2: what that's what i mean jay he wasn't going out and spending the money on the no. jacardi so you no, t- the jacardi was kind of t- set, set.
0: <laughs> yeah no yeah and you actually today today is what he's doing i put a tank bag on before we came on this morning i put I, I installed the tank bag and i installed the mirrors on the thing so yeah the money keeps keeps going out the window but uh by the way um for those of you who don't know we have a patreon page so it's patreon.com slash greg's garage tv and If you heard our podcast last week with Cameron Bobier, I posted the extended interview. So there's one up there with Josh Heron, one up there with Cameron Bobier. We don't need to do it with Steve English because he's in for this whole podcast as we are going to be talking about some good news stuff. Um, So you guys want to catch up a little bit? Um, You know, Steve, what the heck have you been up to? Your season just ended. You were all the way in Indonesia. Now you're back home in what Jason thinks is England.
2: He he, he gets bad. that it's
0: ironed eventually, you know. He just always makes a little slip every now and then.
2: I'll be honest though, still, Greg. I've been I've been flat out since uh, I've gone on to my Christmas holidays. Oh, really? wearing out your golf shoes, are you? Oh yeah, I've been out every day. I've been playing really badly, but uh, you know, I, if I can learn how to putt, I'll be a, a danger for Jay the next time we're playing. Jay, you and I are battling the same thing. I want to. What I want to do is is get over
1: there, and I know we're, next year we're finally going to do it because. GW like two or three years ago before the COVID thing, actually before I broke my leg at Phillip Island, I was planning on going over and playing golf with all the boys, like at all the British open courses. And now oh, like this, wow. 2022, that window's open. So right after Laguna, I'm bolting over going to do Donington. And then I've got basically, I think you guys go to most after that, Steve uh, Czech Republic two weeks after Donington. So I basically got that week after Donington to go and hit all the, I want I, it's going to be great. Want, yeah, do no. we have
0: we have a couple week break after Laguna Jay?
1: Yeah, we go to Brainerd when they go to most. So basically, after Laguna, oh, yeah. I'll I'll rip over to Stevie and then and um, yeah, be there for Donington and then from there head uh, head out and play all the courses. I'll bring Mum over, so she can hang out in England. So it will be great.
2: Yeah, it's not a bad option, Jay. Like we did something similar this year. We went and yep. we played around Liverpool, all the courses up there. I want to do so it. we get to Liverpool, Donington, and uh, it's perfect. I, I actually I love Donington, obviously enough it's the closest race to home but yep. what's cool about donington is the airport's only 5 minute drive 10 yep. ten euro year old taxi or whatever it is so i take over all my family come come over to donington each year and you know obviously in, in the superbike paddock it's an open paddock so they're all able to get in meet everyone and then i'll obviously organize a few bits and pieces for them but like donington's a great event and yeah. Good fans and uh, nice curry houses as well. So yeah, golf yeah, and curry yeah. houses, yeah, yeah, everyone can have a we'll good one at that one. We'll be hitting that up. I know Greg would never eat any of that. Greg,
1: let's get through the news. I don't want to rush, rush, but the fact that we got Steve on today, especially since it's, what, nine hours? Is it eight hours, isn't it? <clears throat> Difference over there, so it's yeah, nighttime eight, for him. Yeah, eight to you,
2: yeah. So we, caught him,
1: we caught him catching his getting his dinner, but I got a lot of questions for him regarding World Superbike, like for the year-end stuff and even going into the new year. So uh, let's rip through our news items.
0: And as you know, news is presented by Arai. And, um, well, I don't know, Jason. Did you know that Arai helmets are lined with an antimicrobial material? Yeah. Mm. I haven't done antimicrobials in a I little while. I do know that now. So, I do. yeah, we might as well throw that in there because I know a lot of you are going to get helmets for Christmas. And what you should do is get on an exercise bike, put the helmet on, really break it in with the sweat. So if you're doing that, you don't live in a warm you know climate like we don't here in the northern hemisphere. The antimicrobial is going to help you out. You can stay fresh longer, enjoy a comfortable ride and the latest Arai helmet. Check out AraiAmericas.com. Pick what you like and head down to your local dealer and grab yourself a new lid. AraiAmericas.com because the holidays are here and you deserve a new helmet. Protect yourself in the new year. All right. With that said, the two of you's first news item. This kind of pertains to the newly dubbed Auto Parts for Less Moto America series and MotoGP. Uh... Specifically, Coda bumps. So, Coda is Circuit of the Americas. If you're new to this, and the FIM Grand Prix Safety Director, who is Franco, I think it's Uccini or Uncini, 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 Uncini yeah. right? He announced that Coda will indeed work on the track surface before MotoGP arrives, April eighth through the tenth of 2022. Now, the work can only be done from Turn Two to Turn Ten, not the entire track, and. That's kind of like the limit on what the riders had said. Like, we're not coming back here unless minimum turn two to turn 10 are done. And the work is not going to be done until February. And Cheney's going to come back and he's going to inspect the track back like 15 days after the track is done on a motorcycle, which I think is great because he's going to be, you know, in the saddle of a motorcycle and be able to see what's going on. So that kind of settles that whole situation, right? I mean, it's we expect them to give the green light. I'm sure that they're going to work. It's not just a surface repave, though, boys. It is they've got to go deep. They've they got to try and into figure the ground, out, don't they? Yeah, because yeah. of the, the 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 you know the the underlayment is moving. You know, yeah, that's the big shifting. deal. So well, what we know you know, think, you know what you Chini, think about? you know when yeah. Chini
1: won the 500 Grand Prix Championship. I think it was '82. You probably don't remember because you weren't in motorcycles then. But
0: no, no, no I know his name is a champ. Like he was yeah, a stud. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. On a Suzuki, I believe. So, um, but yeah, yeah, it'll be good that they're finally getting that done. Um, probably weather's permitting why they can't get it done. Maybe a little bit earlier.
0: Oh uh, no. They- he actually indicated that there's so much activity going on at Koda uh, okay. that they can't cancel. I guess that they don't have that until that window is open. Yeah.
1: Well, between MotoGP and if you watch the F1 race there this year, it was absolutely slam jam packed. Um, you know, Steve, did you talk to Sam much about the race at Koda as far as the track itself?
2: I was actually the, I'm just going to say the most interesting person I talked about it was Garrett Gerloff. yeah. Because obviously, Jay, we were we were over I think Port That's it. We were weekend. we were Port yes. And uh, we were watching first free practice session together. We were getting dinner, yeah. and we saw them come through term one down into two, and you nearly jumped out of your seat, and you yeah. were just saying like, "This is it's horrendous that this is the best depiction of a racetrack in America right now." It is and what what's really sad is like i i lived in texas at the time they were building it and i actually went down from dallas down to austin just to have a look at the the construction and the place was filled with excitement about what was going to happen yeah but what's happened was inevitable whenever you look at you know where the the ground is and the quality of the ground and different things in the soil so now it's going to be interesting to see what happens going forward because what Gurloff said that was really interesting was he said riding it on a superbike meant that you could feel some of the bumps, but it oh. wasn't actually that bad. And then once he had ridden at at Assam on the MotoGP bike, he said that he could then really understand just how bad the bumps would have been in Coda. So that's what's going to be quite interesting for Oncini to the go and ride, because he's going to go and ride on a street bike. Yeah. So it's going to be yeah. soft. It's going to feel all right, on the basis yeah. of what Garrett had said about how it felt <laughs> on a superbike. So you know, it's going to be the real test for it, is going to be in free practice one and everyone's going to expect that it's going to have made a big change but it's only whenever everyone rolls out a pit lane in that session that will really get a good indication of how successful it's been and i think uh, to your point there when
1: you look at the rigidity of what a moto gp bike a moto 2 bike and things are I, I i think it's going to be really interesting how they balance out the setup of these bikes now when you have one part of the track that might be as smooth as a billiard table but the other end of their track that the writers said wasn't as bad is still pretty shit. Really. When you watch it um, down the back straightaway, full of bumps down the back straightaway into the tight left into that little uh, stadium section, I guess it is. And Greg, what is the one that we looked at when you look down on the tower, the big long right behind pit lane, that's pretty bumpy as well. So yeah. there's going to be, you know, like what, to, what you said there, when you look at America, that's the track that everybody depicts our racetracks off of. And they go, well, oh, look at that place. And, uh, it is, it's frustrating because here in America, we never quite seem to get it just when it comes to, to road racing to me. And was like, you look at Laguna, Laguna is Laguna. Laguna is great world superbike track, but I definitely felt like MotoGP outgrew that place. Um, and Laguna has got its safety concerns. It's been around for a zillion years. Um, that said, uh, it, it's, it's, you almost wish Laguna at least has this reputation where Coda doesn't have this reputation right now, other than kind of a bad reputation, sadly. And uh, you just hope that they can get it right for that one.
0: Rumor has it. Hold on. Rumor has it that Road America, Jay, I don't know if you heard about this or not, but Road America is maybe going to be paving now. Like, uh, you know, like they're going to repave. That would be a place that I could see if they could fix like a couple of things that they need to. But I I talked to Johnny Ray about about
1: these because, you know, he did commercials at both those tracks. He loved Barber. When he went to Barber, he's like, oh, was great. Barber was really good. I think he he rode like Ninja 400s or something at Road America.
0: He said he was scared on the front straight it was sc- so he fast. He said it was, yeah.
1: And, <laughs> and I think that the biggest, Road America, Steve, you ever been that one? You ever no, to that no, place? but I, I know now. it well, yeah. Yeah, if you if you went there, it literally has a very Europe feel to it. Big green hills and beautiful area. Um, it has the infrastructure. It, people would have to stay quite a ways away, but it's got great camping and all that stuff for fans if they chose to do so. But, but it's kind of, imprisoned itself because there are there are borders around the circuit where there's nothing behind them so they, they, they can't really move the circuit uh there's a railroad i think greg isn't there outside the oh, key down the back right. straightaway yeah. and that kind of thing yeah. where,
0: same kind know, of situation we're in with with mid-ohio where you just right? can't that move back section there's, there's a move. there's the land ends that they own yeah. and there's an access road and then another farmer owns it so you can't extend out that whole thunder alley section it's part of the reason why we don't go there anymore
2: yeah yeah. See, I always think that's the biggest problem that you have in, in the UK, in the US, and it's the same as what they have in the UK. It's that there's loads of tracks that are fantastic. There's loads of tracks that to ride, to race are amazing. Yeah. But you go to lots of them and there's three different surfaces on them. You yeah. go to lots yeah. of them and they were built 50 years ago. Every track in the UK is an old airfield, basically. So it's a World War II airfield that they put a racetrack around in the 50s. You know, you look at all of these places that you could go in America that would be really good. The problem is they're only really good for superbikes. And, you know, a MotoGP bike just needs higher safety requirements than a superbike. That's why, you know, for world superbikes, we've gone to some places that MotoGP could never go. And that's fine. But the biggest like Imola. problem then becomes... Imola would, Imola would be a great example. Yeah. Unbelievable. You know, everyone, yeah. everyone's got tracks that are on the limit. a moto gp bike because a moto gp bike has just gotten faster and faster and i think that the biggest problem is that you then have to build a new facility coda was built to be that facility but it hasn't worked out and and like everyone looks forward to going to coda because everyone in world Superbikes, MotoGP, moto gp whatever formula one whatever paddock you want to look at everyone loves going to the us and coda isn't the track anyone likes going to right now because of the bumps, because of the fact that it's a good track to drive or ride on, but not a good track to race on? But everyone loves going to Austin because the city's cool. cool so place, yeah. that's that. That's where the US is right now. And, and like I, I look at World Superbikes in the same perspective as well because we've gone to a lot of new tracks this year. We've gone to Navarra and we've gone to obviously just Indonesia. We've gone to Most and we've gone to you know Argentina in the last few years. As a new track. And every time we've gone to everywhere except for Most, because it's obviously an old school track, but all of the new facilities, you know, you've had it where in a very British-centric paddock like World Superbikes, people will talk about this track compared to, you know, why aren't we in such and such in the UK? All of these new tracks, if they were put into the UK, would instantly be the best bike track in the <laughs> UK because yeah. it'll have better facilities than anywhere else. It'll have good infrastructure around it. And I think that's one of the things that, that people people don't want to recognize because all of us loved going to Laguna, even though Laguna's got so many shortcomings as a facility. You know, like you're in old garages, the media centers, the the old... I don't even know what the building was, but it's, it's an old building in the middle of the paddock.
0: Well, if we were look- actually at Laguna for years... MotoGP, yeah. gp they would erect the tent. a tent it was yeah, a big yeah. tent like wow. it's, they didn't yeah. even have facilities there yeah yeah and and
2: and, and it's despite all those things that mm-hmm. everyone loves going to laguna that's right and that's where i i always think that we're all in the same boat because like there's not too many of us with a billion quid sitting down the back of the pa-
0: back of your couch to be well. able to go and build somewhere like Coda. But the yeah. fundamental issue in the US, and I'm sure it's, it's the same in the UK, is that land is at a premium, right? And so it's, it's it's this weird situation. And Jason's been around racing long enough to see racetracks come and go that have been absorbed because they're in a primary spot. It's like you build a track and then the track now starts to dictate some infrastructure that's built around it. Like, oh, people are going to the track. We're going to open up some stores. Next thing you know, we're opening up some um, hotels. And then all of a sudden, the whole area, like, um, I can think of two examples right now, Jay, um, Texas, Mo- Texas world speedway was one of them, you yep. know, up, up in, uh, North central Texas, I yep. guess college and station. then, yeah. and then yeah. College station. And then, um, what was the one Bridgehampton, right? Uh, like, in, which I heard was amazing. Yeah. Long Island or something, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. 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 Something like that or wherever bridge. And, and it's a matter of like, okay, you have this land that's reusable, But in the 1950s, the 1960s, even the 70s, no one was using that land. Then all of a sudden, everything grew up to it. And then the land becomes expensive. It becomes wanted. And then, boom, people say, oh, well, our housing development just was built next to this racetrack. And we don't like the noise. So the next thing you know, the track shuts down. Road Atlanta has been in jeopardy of that for years. and Forever. forever. And and it's getting worse because more stuff's building it. If you look at Virginia International Raceway, and I'm not going to go race to race, vir is in a place where things aren't growing that fast so vir looks like well there's houses
1: around vir and everybody just kind of f would the houses everybody would when yeah. we first year we went there steve there was signs in people's yards saying boycott the racetrack and this and that mm-hmm. and they're still there but you know the track obviously is doing is doing well but you know it's like that everywhere greg pittsburgh comes to mind where you go yep. up that road there's there, again boycott the track i mean There's a number of them. So, what's it like for the Ridge then?
2: Because that's obviously only a couple of years old. Uh, Ridge is literally in the middle of nowhere.
0: So it isn't.
1: It isn't. It isn't. It isn't. Because it's another one of those places, Greg, that you say you could see places growing out towards it. Yes. It's in Shelton, Washington. Beautiful area. Like again, all of it is is real. It's it's great.
0: Um, So Shelton's on the west side of say Olympia, right, Steve? Mm And so naturally, what happens is Olympia grows towards Shelton. Shelton grows towards Olympia. When that stops, they're going to want to go towards the racetrack, which yeah, is a little bit further right. west. That's right. And so I think it's going to take a stunning area, though. Yeah, like beautiful, absolutely. Perfect. And again, there's a racetrack that's that's
1: three quarters really, really good, and it's just got those couple of spots, probably like a lot like British tracks. I mean, when I race Brands Hatch at World Superbike. I couldn't believe that anybody would complain about Laguna Seca because Brands Hatch had so many places that were so dangerous. I'm like, wait, how are these guys coming to America and bitching about Laguna or bitching about anywhere when we're here riding World Superbike at a track that there's some places there that were really, really sketch? And it's like, but that's kind of what you can get away with in the World Superbike world or Superbikes in general world. But MotoGP doesn't really put up with it. In other news, Greg. Sticking with Moto America news, MP13 racing with owner uh, Melissa Paris. This is great news. We'll field Corey Ventura in the hotly contested Twins Cup class aboard a 2022 Yamaha YZR7. Um, Greg, you and I have wanted Corey back in the Moto America paddock for a long time, and, uh, you know, we talked to him, or I talked to him at Buttonwillow uh, a month ago on news that you already knew. This is good news, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it's really good news, and I'm I'm psyched that he's back in there. And I think, you know, without even understanding what, they're going to do with the bike mp13 is going to do with the bike in my view i think that Corey ventura automatically becomes a title contender for Twins scott oh, what do you think
1: well absolutely because melissa's already done you know like if you read some of the press conference or press release you know she kind of went away for a couple of years when mp13 couldn't get funding it sounded like but it was good because it allowed her to grow she won a championship with cam peterson as we know a couple of years ago and then she worked with hunter dunham this last year so she's Learned a lot. The good thing about Melissa is she's not afraid to ask questions. She's not afraid to get her hands dirty. She's uh, beyond hands on. And I think the relationship she already had with Corey uh, will, will blend itself over. And for sure, we saw him win a race last year. And uh, and so that's, it's going to be, I think it's going to be, uh, I mean, championship material for sure. Just have 100%. to keep him healthy. Yep.
2: Yeah. I think it's quite cool as well that obviously, like, I, I look at all the stuff from Mode America from very much an outside perspective and, and I enjoy watching it but I like to see the fact that Corey's come from the KTMs into the junior super sport. And now you've got the twins cup to actually bring him hopefully where he can get onto a competitive super sport bike, because the the twins cup is quite a, quite a nice category as well to have in there as that little feeder class. And I think that that's where like the R7 is going to be interesting to see what it's like next year. And obviously the Aprilia and different bikes in that class. I think it's, it's quite nice to have something that's very unique to Moto America as well to have that class. And uh, I think it's quite cool to be able to see someone like Corey that it's very easy when you're 18, 19, 20 coming through the the Super Sport 300 or the Junior Supersport route to suddenly get lost. So it's quite good to see someone that's come through the paddock and get a chance again. Well, you know, the funny thing is, is this, this
1: class, and I think I speak for Greg, this one kind of hit Greg and I both when they decided to come up with a Twins Cup class. It sounded like it was kind of a filler class that was going to take up some time on the track so the track wasn't empty all the time. So, It originally started, Steve, where it sounded like you were going to get a lot of guys that could never race Moto America or have never raced Moto America. They could build a bike in their garage and they could come race Moto America and be part of the Twins Cup. And exactly what you said is it's turned into a place where now our Junior Cup guys, literally, if they can't afford a super sport program to get right on a 600 immediately, this has become an ultra competitive class. And last year... The racing at the front, there was eight, nine guys at the front of these, of these races every weekend. And, you know, with all of the stuff that we've heard this year from the junior cup programs around the world, the moto threes and the tragedies that we've seen in world super sport and so on, I almost feel like twins cup, it's, it's giving you that same type of racing with fewer guys necessarily at the front. So we don't have a pack of 20, we have a pack of nine then we have another pack of eight or whatever. Um, so it's a little bit safer because of some disparity between the bikes. You know, you're going to see some 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 differences. Um, and so for Greg and I, we don't call this race, but it's one that when it's on, we always kind of try to watch it. Um, sometimes Greg has to get down to the paddock to interview riders from Superbike and 600, so I watch it. But um, but it's it's been really good.
0: The other thing that's really good about Twins Cup that a lot of people don't recognize it's almost in a way an intangible is a Twins Cup bike. The way the rules are written in Moto America. It's basically like a superbike. You're yeah. you're allowed to modify it like a superbike. So I think from the chatter that I'm hearing and the conversations I have with people that work in Twins Cup, you're almost now creating not only a feeder class for riders, but you're starting to get a feeder class for for teams that are looking ahead at superbike. They're getting right. an idea of what it takes. You're getting an idea of mechanics that can work at a superbike level motorcycle in terms of modifications even though it's a twins bike and a lower cost bike and the possibility of training more people on the electronics like i could literally see melissa she's very very smart person you know she, yeah, she's yeah, yeah. got a degree in accounting and she's really intelligent i could see that this being a foundation for melissa in 5 to 10 years working her way into superbike on a level that's, you know, competitive level to attack M4, depending on support, but she's got the, she's got the know-how and the knowledge. And now the foundation, Jay, like you're talking about as a team owner, as a mechanic, as a championship winning mechanic, you know, working with a bunch of different riders and stuff. So I can see how twin cup is, is that route. And it, it almost seems to me like with this new announcement of this, uh, North American talent cup, that is going to be only two Moto America races. And then some club races that, you know, I think, the question comes about, is it necessary now to have a 400 class or is maybe the talent cup take over and then twins cup, then super sport. Then, you know what I mean? in the progression. Yeah. It's but gonna, but the, gonna yeah, be that's, that's for a different time. Goes. Yeah. Hey, real quick. Moto America's website has been redone. Thank goodness. Yep. Uh, you know, you now have access to more, some more information about the series, riders tickets. So go to motoamerica.com and go check it out. There's even now a photo gallery. So you can grab a photo of your favorite rider, put it as your wallpaper or do whatever. Now, Jay and Steve on GP1.com, an Italian motorcycle news website, so they're pretty plugged into the Italian scene. They've reported that talks continue between Danilo Petrucci's management and New York based Warhorse HSBK Racing on the arrival into the series on the Ducati Superbike for 2022. But of course, first, Petrucci is focused on riding a KTM in the Dakar rally coming up here in January. Um, So my guess is nothing's going to be talked about or announced until the rally is at least over. But what do you guys think about uh, you know the encouraging news that talks are still going on that Petrucci is not out of the conversation just because he's riding for Factory KTM right now? Hmm. Well, it begins with, to get Steve's view. I mean, I, I look at it like it's pretty hard
1: for me to look. Petrucci, I loved I mean, how do you not love the guy? Everybody loves him. We haven't really seen much from him, and I mean, he won two MotoGP races, I think, which is obviously two more huge than you. Wait, yeah, only but only two more than me, right? Um, But the thing is, I think that it's really, it's pretty amazing to think that a team could wait around for a guy who's getting ready to go do one of the most dangerous rally races in the world and just kind of hanging out, waiting to see, okay, he's healthy. We can go ahead and move forward with our plans. The race is in January, is it?
0: Yeah, I think it, yeah, it starts right at the beginning of January. January, yeah, you know,
1: I think, yeah. But I mean, it just, it's, 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 I don't know. I mean, Steve, being plugged in like you are, I mean, have you heard Sykes or any of those guys? I mean, I, I kind of sound like they talked to him a little bit about coming over here.
2: Yeah, like uh, we actually we talked about it on on our podcast, myself and Gordo. Um, and uh, Gordo, ev- everything that we had heard was obviously Tom versus Petrucci for this seat. And okay, you know, it, it looks more and more likely that Tom's going to go to BSB on the PBM Ducati. So yeah. obviously, still that Ducati link. But does he take last- Brooks's place, or who's he taking? No, Brooks who's- is going to stay where he is, so he'll be replacing Christian Iden. Where's Eden going to go? Uh, I'm I'm not too sure what way the yeah. rider market's fallen into place in the UK at the minute. But um, yeah. like Sykes, if you can get Sykes, you've got a world champion, someone that's actually, for my money, rode really well this year because he I qualified yeah. well. Still, he still got one lap pace. He took a pole. He actually raced all right, and then he obviously had that big crash. But um, for Tom, it will come down to money as well as anything yeah. else. Like it's a business. But for Ducati, if they can get Petrucci back on that bike, I doubt they'd be too upset. Obviously, every Ducati, whether it's running in World Superbikes in Britain in America, has a certain amount of support coming from Bologna, and uh, I think it's fair to say that there was more of an expectation than what Baz was able to do last year in Moto America. So maybe with Petrucci, there's a little bit more support goes that way. But you know, yeah, I but think- Steve, let me ask you a question on that note, real quick. If I, if I said, all right, Steve, here's half a
1: million dollars. You can get Petrucci or you can get Baz. Petrucci every start day out, of the week. Really? Yeah, why would you why would you not? I, I, I'm not because I haven't really seen any real like the guy's arguably been on the best MotoGP GP bike. He won two races on it in two years. They'd already given up his ride before he even got a chance to ride it the second year. I just think that there's it's the same thing and the reason why I want to get to our talks here in a little bit. So we got to get through this new stuff. because so I want to ask you some specific questions about like Likawona and Chevy Vieira coming straight to Honda. So there there are questions that I have there. With Baggi, had a bit of a proven commodity on a superbike. At least we knew what he could do. We don't really know. With Petrucci, is he going to be right at the front? I would hope that he would be like immediately. But
2: I just I'm not completely sold on it. Well, what would make you think that Tom would do a better job? I, I, I don't know. I, in, I don't know. In the that... last seven years, when Johnny won his championships, when he won all those races, Tom's won seven World Superbike races. On yeah, that was and arguably not, yeah. still the best bike out in that grid as well. And no question. That was when Petrucci's been able to do. You know, at the end of the day, Petrucci did exactly what anyone that had a little bit of sensibility about him. He did exactly what he was going to do on a Ducati and MotoGP. He was going to win some races because the bike was going to be really good. But he wasn't hired to be a world champion. He wasn't hired to win five races a year. He was right. hired to be a number two rider. And I always look at it the same way as I look at Rinaldi this year, where you know Ducati's decision to hire Rinaldi last year was successful in some ways because he did a better job than Chaz Davis did. He won some races, but it wasn't successful because Scott Redding didn't win a world championship. That shouldn't reflect that negatively on Rinaldi. That should reflect negatively on management. And I think Petrucci is well, yeah, no like question. that as well. And but I look at
1: Petrucci and he's routinely got smoked by his teammates on every team he's been on. Even this year with KTM, he was smoked all year long. When he did his last year with Ducati, he was smoked by Doby and other Ducati riders. Can you say riders. that
2: though? Whenever he was the rider that Ducati picked over Jack Miller to put onto a factory Ducati seat after they were Pramac teammates. Yeah, but again, Ducati management hasn't proven to be the
1: smartest group of people in the world. I don't feel, anyways. And it's like when you look at when you do a you are doing a race off between two teammates on a Pramac Ducatis. I I probably would have gone with Jack myself. I mean, he, although he was learning a lot, but Jack hasn't been as impressive as you. Well, he'd let
2: us let, go let's go back even further. Scott Redding's finished second in the World Superbike Championship and third. He's won a lot of races. He's been yep. a regular front runner, and he yep. was smoked by Petrucci when they were teammates. Yeah, but I mean, when you start going
1: back, then you're looking at five years ago, right? Well, hold on, hold on, let's keep going further back then. Hold on, hold on. Let me let me, yeah. let
0: me stop this right now because we, we, you know, Jason's got a golf, blah blah blah. All right, yeah, I do got a so, golf. That's a good point, th- G. There are Thank some you. there are some other things that we don't this know. This is about.
1: why we got to have this guy on the podcast. Exactly, place. it should yeah, be the but, Greg White with Steve English podcast, and I should just interject.
0: Is that what should be done? That's
1: what should be done.
2: I've
0: heard how much money you're earning on this, Jay.
2: You know, you keep the gig.
0: Wow, that hurts. That hurts, huh? But <laughs> well, we do want to thank all of our Patreon supporters for supporting us. <laughs> That's very nice. Yes, yeah, we definitely do. But look, here's the other thing that you guys may not know about, and, and I don't know about. If Ducati is interested in Petrucci, there might be some things that make a lot of sense in the sense that he understands how Ducati works as a as you know a company. He understands the electronics. He also speaks Italian. There's rumors that there's going to be a lot of Italians in our paddock working for that team. And if Ducati is really looking at this saying, okay, we want to improve this Panigale V4R, not just to be great on... Pirelli tires, but we're looking at it. how can we develop this bike to make it better as an overall package? And that may trickle down to more customers down the road. Maybe if the bike starts winning, there are some teams in the U.S. or some people that come in and want to purchase some bikes or do whatever from course. I mean, I'm saying that there is a, a helicopter view here that could be taken beyond just race results that says yeah, Ducati's interested in Petrucci or Sykes.
2: Yeah, but then the other side of that coin is if you were, and and Jay's already made his thoughts pretty clear on Ducati management, but if you were Ducati management, would you put your resources into the Superbike program with a three-year-old bike when you still have to win a MotoGP World Championship for the first time since 2007, despite having the best bike on the grid?
0: But if you don't win a World
2: Championship next
0: year, Steve, Ducati might just leave. Yeah, Ducati Ducati isn't really, (laughs) Ducati Corsa isn't really well, they're not putting any resources into the United States other than technical support. And, and, and it is a very strong partnership. So it, it's, it's not a factory team and I'm doing air quotes, but it's going to be more of a factory team than it's ever been before. But keep in mind, Warhorse team is still a customer team. Yep. You know, We're at still the end of the day. paying for yeah. stuff too, it sounds
1: like. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Would you, let me ask you, you know, Greg, I know we got one more little bit of news item. I don't care. I want to talk to Steve now. So yeah, what, yeah, yeah. what, uh, would you let me ask you a question, Steve? Honestly, right? And and I and I know some of your answers because you and I have had this discussion. If you're Ducati, I mean, no. Let me rephrase that. Would you have gotten rid of Scott Redding this year, or would you have tried to do what you could to try to make him a little bit happy?
2: Um, I would have gotten rid of Scott Redding because yep. I'm getting Alvaro Bautista on a cut-price deal, and, and, like, and, and, I, 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 and inside the paddock, we don't we don't obviously know what the details are in terms of money. But Scott took a lesser wage to come to World Superbikes because his career had stalled. And, you know, he made a decision to do two years, well, one year in BSB and then move to World's. He would have earned less than what his market value was, but his market value was shot because he had washed out of MotoGP. So he expected that after his second year that he would have been able to cash in. So let's say that Scott wanted Johnny Ray money, which is... 750 grand a year and alvaro bautista has had two years at honda where he's really struggled he hasn't won a races he has he's had a couple of podiums he's looking at it from the perspective of what have i done and what he has done is he's earned big money for two years so he went to ducati and he said i want to be back on that bike i'll ride for half nothing half. Yeah. you know so let's look at it that scott at the moment was you know wanted you know johnny ray money and ducati could get Okay, money aside
1: though, money aside again, you look at Redding and you think, well, he's proven that he can win races, proven he can run up front. Really, at the beginning of the year, I remember one race, you can help me out here at Aragon, where it seemed like there was a bad bad tire choice made in the rain that cost him some. Uh, We saw him fall off at Donington. Seemed like all the top guys, though, had those mistakes in the year, but Redding still at the end of the year was still the guy that was putting the pressure on. Now, if you'd have told me about Batista prior to me going over to Jerez and Portimao, where I got to spend some time with you over there, when I sat on the edge of the racetrack, there were two guys that really, really impressed me sitting on the edge of the racetrack. One won't surprise you. One might surprise you. Batista surprised me. I couldn't believe how hard he rode every lap of every session. Like I, I had a different perspective of him. So when everybody was saying that he's going back to Ducati, I kept on thinking to myself before I went over, Why? Why is he going back to Ducati? In my opinion, he choked the championship away in 19, bigger than anybody that we've probably ever seen. And I thought, how can that be? And then speaking to Alex and some of the other riders over there, they're like, Batista is going to be a weapon when he gets back on this bike again. So I saw that. And the other guy was Mercado. I couldn't believe how hard he rides that bike. Lap in, lap out. Leonardo Mercado to me really impressed me. It would be a guy that wouldn't have been on a lot of people's radar. But I thought, man, this kid is riding his guts out too. But going back to the Ducati thing, I can see the Batista reasoning now. And um, and I think he will be difficult to beat as long as he can keep his head in the right spots. Yeah,
2: well, Alvaro, Alvaro's a better rider than Scott when you look at what they did in the Grand Prix paddock. You've got, obviously, for both of them, you've got a lot of information you can call upon for them from 125s into intermediate classes, into the premier class, their superbike careers. Alvaro showed himself to be a more reliable MotoGP rider. So his level is... Very high, and then when the decision was made, like the first the first time that I mentioned it on air was at Donington. After Donington, Scott was sixty seven points behind. I think it was. I think it was Johnny still leading the championship at that stage. He was sixty seven points down. He ended the season sixty three points behind top rack. So he did a really good job in the second half of the year managing. But after Donington, he was out of the championship. You know, it was take going to take an awful lot in his favor to get back in. So Ducati were looking at this four rounds in thinking is this something that we're going to be able to correct? And if you have to pay him that massive money, or you can save money, why not? If, if if in terms of the rider, they're both world-class riders, as I said, Alvaro has had you know more consistent success in MotoGP, so you know what you're going to get from him. And when he was on the Ducati, yeah, he choked it away, but... Look, that first half, he was the season, amazing. He did yeah. things that we'd never seen. You know, and other people and they've all caught up though now a little
1: bit, haven't they? A lot of the other stuff has caught up. And depending on what Cowie is allowed or not allowed to do in 2022, that bike should be a little better, I think. You're going to have, I, I think, Locatelli is going to be a weapon next year. He'll be up front. I think in a few more, and obviously, Top Rack is going to be the guy. But with Johnny, it'll just be interesting to see how Batista treats that now, with with
0: how everybody's gotten closer than they were in 19. Well, what's also interesting to me is the fact that Ducati just released the information about the new Penegali V4S. Now, that bike is different from the V4R in terms of engine displacement because of the rules in World Superbike. The R is specific for you know World Superbike, which, of course, trickles into Moto America. I haven't seen any changes, but if you look at the list of changes that were made to the street bike, they're actually changes that are really going to help that motorcycle in like if that bike was eligible for world super sport trim, I mean, moving it, a swing arm pivot and some other like little modifications. I haven't seen anything. I don't know, Steve, if you have about changes or announcements about the R model, if there's going to be any, because the one thing to keep in mind about Batista is that bike showed up. He dominates, but then it kind of went off the rails. And part of it was because Batista was overriding the motorcycle. It was like, that was the first year that bike was introduced and you, it was almost like we don't expect there to be teething issues you know with the bike going to different tracks and flying around and stuff so Bautista made note um that the changes that have been made over the two years he's been gone are significantly improved but the problem with the Ducati is the only thing you can really change is the back end of the motorcycle you know the the rest of the motorcycle has got to be the same I think the thing to look at Ducati is they didn't have
2: teething problems they've got inherent flaws with the bike
0: yeah, right. Fair and enough. You've yeah. got
2: three years, and and like I think it's the one thing that like Honda has found in superbikes because when you bring in a team from the Grand Prix paddock, they think they can engineer a solution, and you can't do that in superbikes. You have a base bike, and you can stiffen it, but you can't make it softer. And they, so Honda has found this to be their problem. I think Ducati, rightly, has developed a V four or, and then in twenty nineteen. They've done very little to that bike since because they focused on MotoGP. They've developed a great bike in MotoGP, haven't won the championship. I, If if I was Gigi and I'm heading up Ducati and I'm looking at it from the perspective of we've got Bautista and a bike that's clearly really good, keep that the way it is and then focus everything on winning the MotoGP championship because what, what validates Ducati's decision back in, what was it, 2014 to hire Gigi Delinia? 2013, maybe. It's winning a MotoGP World Championship. Gigi's a fantastic engineer. He's had a lot of success, but he's also come up short. And I think it's one of those things that Gigi's also under an awful lot of pressure. You can't pay him the wage he's being paid. You can't put the resources that Ducati put into MotoGP without getting the results. Winning races is great. They didn't win the championship.
1: Yeah, they were close. And I think that... One of the things, Greg, that you bring up about Batista too is that when he was winning those races, I mean, I, I just go back to Phillip Island, uh, just watching him, just it was, it was, in, it was insane. Like everybody knew on the grid that there was no chance they could beat him. The problem is, is the overriding of that Ducati. Um, I found that I found that this year, watching Renning ride at a lot of places, that when he would try to override it, he could still kind of stay there. Um, he'd still be able to kind of be there, riding with those guys. I, I, that's my biggest problem with Batista. I worry about him overriding it and tip, you know, tossing the thing down the road a bunch, as he did. Uh, I, I, he's probably really happy they're not coming back to Laguna. Um, yeah, <laughs> Laguna was bad. I, I want to talk about another Ducati writer really quick who's really impressed me is Basani, Steve. Now, at the beginning of the year, most of us didn't know who Bassani was. I, I certainly didn't, uh, which I was a little embarrassed by that because I'd see his name and I'm like, ah, you know, where did he come from? Finding out a little bit about who he is. Uh, very, very super impressive. Seems like a mild-mannered guy for the most part, but where do you see him in the pecking order, Ducati? I mean, again, you got Rinaldi and Bassani and I'm looking at like the number two ride of who I think. I mean, Bassani to me just seems like a kid that he he could be a threat next year depending on the equipment and and, uh, and how he ends up going next year.
2: Well, he showed how good the Ducati is. You yes. Know, and, and there were there were places where it was really good and he got really good results. And he's... He's clearly a talented rider. We saw that whenever he was in Supersport. He was on a Pichetti bike in the European Championship, I think back in 2017. Okay. And he was really fast. And, but honestly, the only reason that I knew about him was because every week he looked really fast until Super pole, and then he crashed. Oh, and he right? never yeah. actually got the results that his speed probably warranted that season. Mm. But you knew who he was. Zaccone was the other rider on the bike as well. He's had success. I think he won the European Moto2 Championship last year. So they were two talented riders that both of them just never quite fulfilled it on a super sport bike. Bassani had a good opportunity with Motocor, so they're a good team. You know, Like I said earlier, if you're running the Ducati, there's a lot of red shirts in your pit box. He's taken advantage of that. He's had a good season. But I look at him the same way as I look at Andrea Locatelli. And I'll group the two together because, you know, Jay, you said that you expect to see Locatelli fighting at the front all the way through next year. You expect to see him win races. I expect I to next- see him up front, yeah. Well, yeah. let, let's say he's at the front and, yeah. you know, the expectation for a lot of people is he's going to win some races. Yeah, Next year is going to be really tough for him tough. because yeah. he's come in with no no pressure, no expectation. He's, you know, the undrafted free agent that comes Correct. in and does a good job. And then the second year, everyone knows what tough, to expect sophomore from him. Sophomore jinx. <laughs> and, and you figure out how to, how to go against him. Is yep. he going to be able to make a step forward? He's, he's talented. You know, he dominated the super sport class yep. in 2020. But is he going to be able to go to the front and you be know, beat Gurloff if Garrett gets his, his head in order over the winter. Is he going to be able to beat a fully fit Lowe's Rinaldi finding it, some oh, stacked, consistency? Yeah, I, mean, I, I, I think down. I think it's so easy to to look at everything and expect things to be a step forward the following year. I expect Locatelli to make a step back and that's not because I don't think he's a good rider. I think it's because there were factors this year that aided him. And he played took hands of a of. I I think yeah. I think he could easily win some races, but to finish fourth, fifth in the world again, challenge for a top three in the championship standings, you know, I think that's going to be really tough. And I think that's where, again, a bit like what I said about Rinaldi going to Ducati, you need to look at things from your expectation at the start of the season and then what to do at the end of the season. And for next year, I'll have reevaluated what I would have expected for Locatelli but it won't be where he does what he did this year. It'll be, you know, can he just show that he's able to get to the front again, stay at the front. And if he wins a race, it's a great season. If he finishes top six in the championship, I think it's a great season. And that's a step back from where he was this year. Top six for in this championship now is incredible. And
1: I want to go on unless Greg's got something to add. I, I want to talk about Honda real quick because, you know, I grew up, I grew up with Honda. The big red machine was, they won everything everywhere, all around the world. They've, They've pretty much not been that much of a force for years now, obviously with the exception of Marquez and MotoGP, but we're talking about one rider. I was a little bit surprised. And I and again, I wanted to get your honest opinion of it, that they go with the rider lineup that they had going into next year. La Cibona is a bit of an unproven commodity, even though we know he's a MotoGP rider. But because you're a MotoGP rider, doesn't just necessarily mean you're going to find success automatically anywhere else. But they, they go with with Lecawana and Xavi Vierge, which is, an, again, a little bit of a shock move to me. Um, it, does that lineup um, surprise you at all moving forward with, with what Honda has been in the past? They don't have anybody, I don't want to say experience, because they had Batista and Haslam this year. Um, but was there anybody else out there that you would have thought they could have maybe put on that bike? Like Scott Redding or something, you know? I
2: get 100% yeah. because... Yep. You know, yeah, it's a great like, one. I, th- yeah. I think I think what, what's interesting with Honda is like Jay, you'll remember, like you said, whenever you were a young rider coming through and Big yeah. H was all you wanted. Yep. Yeah. Who wants to be on the Honda and World Superbikes right now? Yeah. Not that many riders. Because what's more attractive? Is it to be the factory Honda rider or is it to jump onto the Go Eleven Ducati You know, Baz yeah. jumped onto it for two rounds and he looked great. Yeah. You're not jumping onto the Honda and looking great. No. So Therefore, Honda aren't quite able to appeal to an awful lot of riders unless it's just by opening the checkbook. Now, I think Leclerc is a great hire, and I'm I not do. sure. I agree with you on that. I agree with you on that. I, yeah. I, 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 I think he did a really good job in the second half of this year in MotoGP. He's yep. talented. He's young, and it could work. I think. He, I think he's he's probably more much more of a safe bet than Javi Viera. Because I yeah. think that the floor with Lekawona is going to be quite high. Whereas with Javi, I think it's going to be boom or bust. He's going to be one of those Grand Prix riders that comes in. He could instantly be fantastic with the Honda. Or it could be what we saw from him in Moto2 where he was inconsistent. And, yeah, you know, there was, there was a lot of talk a few years ago that Javi was going to be that next really fast Spaniard coming through. He's had good teams. He's been with top teams in Moto2. Yeah. And he hasn't quite lived up to what everyone expected from him. And then you jump into a field as deep as World Superbikes now. You have to learn an awful lot. You're at a team that struggled. And I think you know that's going to be really tough for, for Xavi. And then you're up against a, a rider like Lekwona, who's, I don't know, four years younger than you. He's hungry. He's going in there pissed off that he got s- stepped over in MotoGP. Now, in saying that, I also think... That the right decision was made when the decision was made by KTM, yeah, because I agree. Yep. you know versus you know Remy Gardner ended up winning the championship in Moto Two. Raúl Fernandez was a stud all the way through the season. You know, they showed more than Lecone had shown at any stage in his career up until the point where the decision was made. So KTM got a little bit vilified for making the choice. I don't understand how anyone would have made a different choice it ends up working quite well for Honda because they got a rider that could be really good for superbikes. I think I think Lacavona is a great he'll have a
1: go. Um I didn't he lead the Greg didn't he lead the amount of crashes this year Moto GP I believe was Lacavona. Yeah, as far did. as that goes. So you know he's going to have a go. He's going to have, have a go business. so. Yeah, he's going to have a go and I think that I think it'll be good now when you look at the BMW team next year. It's really interesting because I think that the rider lineup themselves, it looks pretty solid. They got three tall guys, obviously, with Baz and Redding and Vandermark. And I'm glad to see Eugene at least have another shot with his team this year. It sounded like it just went away, didn't it? Um, so it's it's an, another interesting thing for me. And you were making kind of – I don't want to say you're making light of it, but you were you were mentioning it because you and I have discussed this. When Redding was leading the race at, at uh, in Indonesia, it was like, well – it might be a little while till we see Redding maybe back up front again, because the BMW and I think this is about the Honda too, the BMW and the Honda, Steve. To me, when I sit trackside, are just they're just a step away. There's there's a and, and we know how hard that last little step is, but I really feel like this with the BMW too. It's just a step away from getting up to that front group more consistently in the dry. And maybe with Reading and Baz coming in and interjecting some things with VDM, uh, it, maybe that'll make the difference. Thoughts on yeah. that?
2: I think that one of the things to remember with BMW is obviously in the past, Van der Mark was never much of a test rider. He didn't yeah. lead Yamaha's program in terms of developing a package. Uh, Tom Sykes has the most unique riding style of any world-class rider. So you've got to park what he's doing on the bike because the data is not going to be relevant for most other riders. Eugene obviously has a lot of experience, but it's also seven years since Eugene won a race. Yeah, yeah, so, exactly. Yeah, you know, is he still the Eugene Laverty he was whenever he left World Superbikes to go to MotoGP? Or have all those injuries mounted up? To, you know, is, does he still have that same hunger and desire? It's hard, yeah. You know, it's very difficult. Like, yeah. there's, there's big question marks about everyone involved at BMW. You look at Giannis Folger this year. You know, Folger was anonymous in the whole season. There wasn't yeah. even... Sessions that you looked at and thought, Oh, Giannis made a big step this weekend. It was, it was really a few strange. times whenever you thought maybe the weekend after Donington. Donington was an absolute disaster for him. And then I think we went to Assen the next week and he looked all right in Assen. But, you did know, did they again, run around
1: of the German superbike races uh, in Assen, though?
2: Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. And I mean, not, he's got a lot of whenever there. He was on a Yamaha as well. So the team yeah. wouldn't have had too much relevant information. Got but it. I think it's one of those ones where, like, BMW are close. But the problem is. Ducati, Kawasaki and Yamaha have a package that is just better than it right now. They have riders that can get the most out of it pretty much everywhere we go. So it becomes really difficult. And Honda's in the same boat. Honda has a good bike. There's an awful lot of positives to take from from the Fireblade. But it's a 13-round championship where you go to tons of different circuits. And Mm. right now, Honda and BMW have a bike that work really well at a couple of tracks, maybe three or four tracks. That was by the five
0: way, five years yeah. ago. So, by the way, for those of you in the United States, the Fireblade is actually the CBR 1000 RR R R Yeah, as RR an Irishman,
2: RR. I struggle to say or so R. <laughs> R- I'm not gonna be saying
0: that. Fireblade's easy, Fireblade's yeah, easy.
2: fireblade there. canoe or or or, but uh, <laughs> that's yeah. rowing in a boat, dude. Or, yeah, or or or, you know, there you go. It's good crew um, they've got down there in Honda, anyway. Yeah, were,
1: were you surprised by the signing with Odell at seven? At go eleven, because when again when we were over there and uh, it, when I was over there with you, it looked like they were going to bring McKenzie in and possibly be on Yamahas. And here you got Loris Baz, who put two really good weekends together for that team. Is this is this a money
2: injected type of system here, where it could be where that's what Odell brought into it? Well, you talked about it earlier on. JP, where you were saying, like, well, let's take money out of it when we're talking about Ducati going from Scott to yeah. Alvaro Bautista. Cash rules everything around me. Yeah. And that's the, that's the paddock. And, you know, Go 11 need money. Yep. They needed McKenzie to bring money. And yep. uh, Ertl brings a lot more money than they could have got from McKenzie. He? And he's a good right. rider. He's a Grand Prix yeah. winner. You know, like, I think that there's there's nothing dirty about being a pay rider anymore because most of them are still pretty good. There's very few of them that just are totally undeserving of a place on the grid. Ertl has won in the MotoGP paddock. He's done well on a super sport bike, so he warrants the seat in terms of his talent. And he'll do a decent enough job. It's a good team. It's got a good opportunity for him. He works hard, so we'll see what he can do. But it, it I think it was a surprise because the talk had been that he'd go to an RL at Kawasaki or whatever, but if your choices between being on a customer Kawasaki where, <laughs> let's be honest, no one's done anything other than Top yeah. Rack or yeah. being on a customer Ducati where Bisani's exceeded ex- expectations this year, where we've had obviously Baz jump on, to so that go with bike and do well. It's an easy decision to see where you're going to take your money That's if cool. you're Ertl.
1: Well, and let's get to Kawasaki real quick because just kind of going through each manufacturer here, uh, when you look at going into 2022, you're around these guys more than any of us it seems to me that Johnny is coming back with more vengeance than we've probably seen in a while, depending also it'll be interesting to see. I don't know when the technical rules get ridden for, for world Superbike. if they're going to be given those 500 RPMs that we heard being spoke about so often. Uh, When you look at the Cowie, it, it didn't just hurt Alex and Johnny did it because those privateer Kawasaki's were all getting dinged as well. And those guys had no chance. They were, they were essentially at the back of the grid. I'll tell you, Isaac Vinyalas wrote amazing in Indonesia, especially those first couple sessions uh, I'm learning the, the track. Team I thought as he well. was really, yeah, yes, agreed. He was very impressive. Um, um, but if Cowie gets some of that stuff back, um, how big of a difference is that going to make for them going into next year? And obviously, we know Alex just has to get healthy. He just had a year of just injury after injury. But I, I, I don't get the feeling like Johnny is really ready to just kind of roll over just yet.
2: Well, Johnny's had way too much success to put up with not getting what he wants. And that's the way top riders are. And you've got to be greedy to have, you know, the, the amount of race wins and championships Johnny's had. And you've got to be a bit of a bastard. And he will have gone to Kawasaki and said, we can't win with this package because Johnny gave it everything he had this year and didn't look like winning the championship for the last four or five rounds because Toprak just had that confidence, that momentum behind him. And I think, you know, the 500 revs is really interesting because it would have made a massive difference. There's no two ways about it. Johnny had to change how he rode this year. And, you know, if you're if you're giving up on one area on the bike, you've got to find another area to make a big step forward. Every single one of Johnny's crashes came on the brakes, on the front end, and something going wrong. And that's because he had to change how he rode. And the Donington crash, the Moss crash, you know, they were perfect examples of a rider that, felt that he had to be absolutely on the limit everywhere on the corner entry to have half a chance. If he had the 500 revs, that would be a little bit different because, and Jay, you'd know this better than me, it's not about having it at the end of the straight. It's about not having to make five extra gear shifts for each lap. It's about 21, 22 laps. That's 110 gear shifts that you're saving. It's 110 times where something could go wrong. 110 times where you're losing a bit of momentum. You're having to change your approach. And I think it's one of those ones where that's what made the biggest difference for Johnny as opposed to down the straights because yeah, Kawasaki looked a little bit hamstrung at times down the straights. They weren't that slow either. So I think it was really how he had to ride that made the biggest difference with those revs. Yeah. It depended
1: on the kind of corner they came out of, didn't it, Steve, as far as how they were at the end of the straightaways? Because going to Jerez, going to Portimao and watching the Yamaha jump out of the last corner, uh, coming onto the front straightaway at Jerez or, or whatever. When, when Johnny could get a run through the big long, right, I believe it's turn six at Jerez and get down the back straightaway where we could roll through it. You didn't see as big of a difference, but to your point, exactly. When you have a bike that doesn't get off the corners quite as well as everything else. Uh, and you have to gear your bike then accordingly, where you might have to be shorter in the gearbox. It's going to require more shifting. You could definitely see the disadvantage. Plus, you know that you're dealing with a guy in top rack who has taken breaking to another level. So now what that's going to make, it's going to make it for the writings and the rays and the lows and all these guys, they now realize they have to get into the corners even deeper still. And when you're already battling a deficit down the straightaways, it's, <laughs> now you've got to make up that time going into the corners and you know, you're battling somebody like top rack. It's going to cause you to push and make those mistakes.
2: Yeah, and I think that's the biggest thing is that you look at Toprak and Toprak has a decided advantage in a single area, which means everyone else then has to be absolutely to the nth degree in that area. And you look at what will happen over the next year is that those manufacturers will just develop their bike accordingly to try and be a bit stronger on corner entry on the breakpoint. point. But Toprak's always going to have that little bit of an advantage because he's just That's where he's fast. Every rider has one area where they're quite fast. You know, even, you know, you you look all the way down the grid to whoever's at the back of the field. They've got one thing that they do better than the other areas. It's just that
0: Toprax is just so noticeable. And he's got the fear factor from it as well. Yeah, but we saw that too in Moto America, Jason, right? With the with the introduction of Tony Elias and the way that he was breaking into corners and the way he set up a motorcycle, it caught everybody on their back, back foot in Moto America. And I think that that was part of what allowed Tony to have so much success early on and win the championship in his second year. Because sitting through that, I remember talking to Cameron Bobier and his crew at Factory Yamaha at the moment. And they were just like, all we're trying to do right now is figure out how to get this thing to be as stable as Tony's bike is into the corner without losing all the advantages that we we currently have. And, and, yeah, and they eventually and, for, sorted it out, you know?
1: Yep. And, and Greg, what you talk about there too, that we noticed with, uh, with that whole scenario was Tony had the ability to get it into a corner and get to the apex quicker. And he was racing against a motorcycle in the Yamaha at the time was known for corner speeds, that like to roll through corners and get through things It seems like now that Top Rack has that ability to to take it to wherever he wants. And I wanted to ask Steve this question specifically, kind of wrapping things up a little bit here. But with Top Rack and the years that you've been in World Superbike, have you seen a guy with as much, A, probably natural ability, but the bike control that Top Rack possesses, the ability to put himself in places, and I've seen Johnny do this for years. There's been a couple races that I can remember in my mind um with Johnny where the the amount of bike control is just it's insane but Toprak manages to put himself in places where he doesn't necessarily touch people he gets into areas where it looks like oh this is going to be a bit questionable um but he doesn't really make contact you don't see him making any hard contact you saw you saw him go for it a little bit there with Bassani in the last corner in the second race I believe on Sunday in Indonesia this last this last race um and then of course Vandemark gets into the side just a little bit of Bassani on the exit of that last corner but as a champion and you look at what top Rack is and what he does um how impressed have you been by him this year just in the sense of bike control and things that he does on that motorcycle
2: well just about indonesia Toprak's his his auto blipper failed during the race presumably the soaking conditions ended up doing a bit of damage to the electronics so he had to end up changing that and and doing it all manually so that's why he was a bit out of shape on that corner entry as well so there was a few mitigating factors there but that's one of the few times where you saw him make contact with someone I think Mao was a little bit on the limit with Johnny and we saw the whole way through this season that every time you rode on board with those two guys the, the other rider would just suddenly appear across you and you thought how did they manage that You know, how, yeah. how did they manage to yeah. avoid the crashes and the reason for it is is that Johnny, with his style, he's always been very upright in the bike. He looks like he's out in the motocross bike all the yep. time. But yep. by being so upright, he's always got margin for error. He can always move his body around a lot more. When, you've, when you're dragging your elbow, where do you move to? You can't yeah. put your weight anywhere other than on yeah. the ground. Yeah. Whereas Johnny, with his upright style, can always move around a little bit. And that was always one of his big advantages. rack with his style, he's nothing like Johnny He's nothing like anyone else in the world. The only rider I can compare him to, that like I'm working in, you know, MotoGP from, 2019, from 2011 onwards, and then Superbikes from 16 onwards. The only rider I can compare him to is Marc Marquez because mm. when Marc came off a Moto2 bike at Valencia 2012, Cal Crutchlow was doing an end of year debrief with all the journalists before the first day of testing, and Cal said, "Tell you what, the best MotoGP rider in the world." Is Mark Marquez and he hasn't even sat on the bike yet. Wait until you see what he does tomorrow. And Mark jumped onto a MotoGP bike instantly, looked at ease on it. Went to Qatar for his first race, had that battle with with Rossi, ended up winning the championship. Had all the success he's had. He's the only rider I've seen that Toprak reminds me of. Toprak, yeah, you know, looks like no one else. He approaches racing like no one else. He obviously he's taken what Keenan has taught him and gone even further. Like, Keenan was the most hard-charging bastard you've ever seen on a racetrack. And yeah. Toprak's even worse. You know, yeah. and I remember after Catalonia, I was chatting to Johnny, and uh, you know they had that Super Bowl race. I think it, was, it ended up being a five-lap yeah. shootout. And uh, Johnny was there saying, oh, I'll tell you what, Toprak was on the limit at times today. You know, like you were you were coming down into corners, and you, you knew he was going to send it on you. But, oh, there were a few times whenever I thought, nah, he's, he's not going to do it this time. And Johnny was a little bit upset about it. And then I said to him, Johnny, you did the exact same thing to him. Oh, yeah. And he was there. Oh, yeah, actually, I can't really complain about it because both <laughs> of them have that exact same mentality. Yeah. And that's what I loved about watching them this year. Like I said it the whole way through the second half this year. I was so lucky to be involved in a championship where you knew you were watching something historic. When when I was a kid and I started watching bikes, I really got into it in about 98 and you used to look back at all the old races and you'd see the Schwantz and the Rainey battles. You'd read about, you know, Dune and Crivia. And, you know, you'd see Rossi against Biaggi, all these kind of things. But they were all in isolation. They were all, you know, everyone remembers Hockenheim for Rainey against Schwantz. They don't yeah. remember the fact that most of the races that year were really drawn out. Yes, you, right. you look at, right. you know, so much times in, in history... Prost against Senna. You know, that's one of the only few times when you had two teammates in Formula 1 beating up each other all the time. That's what this was like. And, you know, we had it where everywhere we went, they were so so close to each other in lap times. How they approached it was the same. We had great racing all the way through. And you know that in 20 years' time, we're going to look back at this season and say this was the best season we've ever had in World Superbikes. Because we look back 20 years ago to bail against Edwards. And oh. Everyone thinks it was a great season. It, it was a shit season. It was a shit season. It was like one guy ran away. Then the other guy ran away with the second half. But
1: the climax of that was, and I was just thinking about that, but it was the, was the final two races at Imola. And I watched the second race the other day. And you watch that race and you think of everything that was on the line with those two, those day that day. And I, and I get that feeling like I, I feel like going into 2022, you're going to have an amazing year being able to call the races again. And um, I think that, that, you could see a Ray top Rack clash for the next two or three years, but I also believe that there's going to be some other characters that are going to throw their names in the hat, and we hope that the other company, or you know, Hondas and the BMWs and such, could get their shit together a little bit and have it to where their guys are up in that that group as well.
2: Well, just like what you were saying there about race two at Imola as well, Jay, because that's what this season was like. Because Edwards didn't need to win race two, that's but right. He needed to beat Bayless. He 100%. didn't want try to go to you know, factory MotoGP seat having won the last race. He wanted to put him in his place and that's what made that race classic because 100%. the championship was irrelevant. And Top Rack was like that this year because he said the whole way through, no, no, I'm going to win races. The championship will take care of itself. And we're used to hearing riders say that, but you also know that they're there thinking in the back of their head, my championship bonus is one is worth an awful lot more than my win bonus. So yeah, like I'll, I'll get it in check eventually. Toprak kept doing that. He, like you look at race one, he he had one hand on the championship. All he had to do was finish second, and he still tried everything to beat Johnny on the last running lap. him down,
1: wasn't he at the end? And Greg and I were sitting up actually. Uh, it's when those races go to Australia or Indonesia, in this case, it's great because Greg and I will be sitting there watching first practice uh, without knowing each other or watching it and all of a sudden i'll get a text are you watching this and it's like yeah i'm watching it and Toprak's first session in indonesia was just a joke i mean the guy was second and a half quicker than everybody else for the longest time and it was like he was pushing so hard from the outlap second lap and i always yeah, say, put about it these- underneath bautista on the outlap oh, it was like it was like <laughs> it was unreal yeah and greg greg and i are actually texting about that and we're just laughing and i'm like you know the thing is he's just trying to make a statement right now he's showing everybody and and you never know steve to be fair if the guy goes out and wins championship next year, you probably will lose him to MotoGP, which fair play to him if that's the decision that he decides to go. I'm sure there's a lot of political sides of those things with Red Bull and all those things that he's got sponsor wise. But, but I mean, he legitimately could be a guy that you could see go from World Superbike. And, and we've seen guys like Bayless win World Superbike championships, try to go to MotoGP and not be able to get it done. You look at Top Rack and you look at, where his career could go and his age he could be a guy that could go on and maybe do that. So, yeah, I mean, there's so many things that the, the ceiling's so high for him right now.
2: Well, just so what you're saying there about that first session and making a statement, like everything in racing is about ego. It doesn't matter if you're the writer, it doesn't matter if you're commentators, journalists, engineers, everyone wants to make a statement all the time. Every and time. Toprak wanted to go out there and just say, you know what? And winning the championship, and Johnny, you're going to be sitting down the first 10 minutes of this session because that's what Ray does in these new tracks. He sits out a couple of laps, wants to see what the grip's like. He sees Top Rack just put it down the inside, six corners in, standing Bautista, up unreal, and just there, like, Phew, This is done. And that's that's the fear that Top Rack wants to install. And it's the exact same as what happened with Marquez for years. You knew exactly what you were going to get from Mark. And when I was on with his last. I said that, you know, Mark is the the best rider we've ever seen. But Mark is just another MotoGP rider now for 15 races a year. And then for five races a year, he'll be Mark Marquez. The other riders know this as well. And they've changed how they ride against Mark. Toprak doesn't want to give them the opportunity to change. And that's what actually made it really interesting with Johnny this year. Because, you know, you look at when riders' eras at the tops come to an end. Rossi's a really good example of this. You look at, you know, not so much 2006, because Rossi was still, I don't know how popular this will be with an American audience. Rossi was still the best rider in the world in 2006, but made so many mistakes. True. You know, yep. so Nikki won the championship. Yep. But when Rossi came back, 07, 08, 09, you know, obviously Casey with the Ducati, the first year of the 800s had an advantage. But you look at yep. 08 and 09, Rossi was still unbelievable. But once we got into 10, 11, 12, the aura was gone. You know, those other people guys are less intimidated, right? You know, They're and, and it's, it's once you lose that, it chips away so quickly. And it's, it's like the millionaire that goes bankrupt, you know, how did it happen when well, it happened slowly at first, and then it was all gone. And it's a bit like that in, in racing and Toprak doesn't want to give anyone that chance. And that's what I love about him. I love that mentality. And that's obviously comes through from, from Keenan. And it comes through as well from when you're a, a Turkish rider, and it's the same as for Cambodia going over to Europe. When you're the outsider, you have to carve your own identity. Toprak's done that really well. And he's had to, he's had to dig in at every opportunity and he's, he's always shown that he has that. I think you see that with everybody though. Like you say,
1: um, you know, you look at somebody like Tiger Woods, once Tiger had his issues seven, eight years ago, that intimidation factor was lost and you had so many great players coming after him. And now it's, you know, you see him even in an interview yesterday, his first interview back. It's kind of like, well, my full-time PGA Tour career is over. Now, whether he believes that or not, that's the that's what he wants to portray. And you're right with Marquez. These guys now, the intimidation factor is gone. There's going to be five races a year where Marquez is going to be incredible. Um, but depending on how his health is and things like that, you still get the feeling, though, with Johnny that – that's this was a year where all right, we made some mistakes. Our bike could have been like Johnny's got some things he can fall back on this year and go, if we had some of this, or if maybe this wouldn't happen, we'd still be the guys to beat. Um, but I mean, top rack just he's he's insane, Steve. Thank you again for coming on with us today. It's uh, I love having you on here. Obviously, you and I speak all the time, and um, we got to get that golf trip planned next year because I'm dying for it, you know.
2: Uh, I I always love coming on, guys. It's always good to good to chat bikes always good to to chat with you guys about it as well like uh, as i always said like i watch all the moto america stuff so it's always quite interesting that when the moto america races are on i'm texting news the whole time yeah and when the world superbike races are on you know it's it's always the same so it's it's uh it's all good to get on for great
1: great greg is super strict when we're in the booth so he'll see me texting or something every now and then and i said to i said to steve greg i said to him I said, hey man, I'm sorry I texted you during the telecast. He's like, oh, I don't give a shit. Like, you can, you know, you can throw me something here or there. Cause what was the, there was a race, I think it was Australia two years ago, where Steve literally was WhatsApping me. And cause I couldn't get it live, he's got it on TV
2: in the booth. This, so this getting, was a, I wanna make I'm, this clear. I'm as getting well, great commentary. He said my managers are listening. <laughs> This is oh, yeah. where uh, it was a free practice session before they went live right. on the video pass for the flyaway races. So that's right. You know, I wasn't video calling during the course of,
1: of no, live no, no, session. no, no. <laughs> Don't worry, they're not listening, anyways. But yeah, you're exactly right, and it's uh, but 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 yeah, thanks always for the insight, and um, yeah, it's good.
0: So on next week's show, we're going to cover some of the things we haven't talked about in this show, including that MotoGP crash report that came out we're going to break that down because it's a very telling sign for honda and how good or not good their motorcycle is and then we're going to talk about some other stuff as we get closer and closer to the new year so thanks steve thanks jason and since jason you're an idiot yeah steve gets the last word well wait on real out. quick everybody if you if you are not make sure you do go listen to the paddock pass podcast
1: with uh, with steve the insights that you get from some of the European stuff over there, they do a Moto 2, a Moto 3 only. They do Moto GP podcast only, as well as World Superbike. So, Paddock Pass Podcast, if
0: you get a chance, give it a listen. It's a good one. There'll be a link in the description of this podcast, as well as Steve's social media stuff. Steve, what's your social media? Uh, Steve Ingers GP. Or uh, at Racing Lowdown on Instagram. I want to say
2: one thing as well, actually, because my Spotify 2021 review came up and there there was an awful lot of questionable music choices. I have to say it surprised me what my most popular songs and artists were from the year. But what didn't surprise me was this podcast actually came out number one on my podcast chart did it oh i yeah. thought you were gonna say
1: that great i thought you were gonna say that the music from our podcast the beginning of it was the top of your charts so that's what i thought you were gonna say you, you know?
2: would have thought that but i don't <laughs> think you can get that for the the free music choices that you get from uh, <laughs> cc
0: royalty free all right thanks everybody enjoy the podcast we'll see you guys next week bye bye everybody later
2: cheers guys